This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 69, Comic Reviews for the week of April the 10th. Welcome once again to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is your host, Adam Chapman, and today we're looking at the comic reviews for the week of April the 10th. Now, first of all, I wanted to just take a quick moment to apologize for the lateness of this episode. Uh, regular uh, listeners of the show know that I usually like to get the review episodes up on the Sunday. Uh, this past week, I was at an 80s toy show, selling some comics, having a good time. Unfortunately, it meant I wasn't able to really sit down and go through uh, really any of the books that I wanted to talk about this week, so I pushed it back to the Monday. It's thinking, oh, I'll record it Monday, no problem. Then Monday ended up being really busy, recorded back-to-back, back, sorry, back-to-back podcasts, uh, basically what you're going to end up listening to as episode 70 and episode 74. Um, we recorded those back-to-back yesterday, and then I just things got away from me, and I wasn't able to really uh, get work on this episode done. And then today, I had a, a full day of doing a myriad of sleep tests and fun stuff at a local hospital, so I just was unable to uh, really get down to brass tacks and finish all the books and, and get all the uh, this episode done. So unfortunately, by the time this episode goes up, it's going to be about maybe two or three hours before the episode 70 comes up. So I feel like this episode is going to end up being overshadowed a little bit, but that's my own fault for uh, kind of letting this one go late, and the one that's coming right after it, it can't really be pushed back. It, it kind of needs to go up immediately because it's referring to stuff that's kind of already in the past, and so people who like Curaclix should download that episode. Uh, that'll be releasing probably around midnight on April 17th. Uh, well, technically tonight on the 16th, which then becomes the 17th. Anyways, who cares about all that crap, all that preamble? Let's just jump into the actual episode, why don't we? So I was just looking at, so whenever I come up with these lists, it's basically whatever the diamond says comes out uh, on, or it's not diamond, uh, the previous world is, I guess it's really. It's the diamond through diamond as well, but basically, previous world is where I go for all the list of everything that comes out, and then for the most part, I try and grab most of the big uh, the big titles from DC and Marvel. I don't pick up a lot of image, and I do apologize that I don't pick up more. Uh, usually, I just kind of I've been reading East of West. Intermittently, I pick up Saga because I'm, I'm more of a trade guy on that one, and then because I read someone else's copy, and then I've, uh, I'm a big fan of Manhattan Projects. But other than that, it's usually just the big two. Anyways, um, the reason why I even bring this up as a topic at all is that uh, I was going through the previous list and then going through my stack, and I was like, wait a minute, I don't have Action Comics 819, but that sounds familiar. It was actually released last week, or at least I had a copy of it last week. Oh, I or I was able to get a hold of one anyway. Um, and I guess technically it doesn't come out until this week, so I don't even know how I got that or how... Anyways, I don't even remember. Things happen so quickly. Anyways, for those who are interested in my thoughts on Action Comics 19, you can refer to the last episode that I reviewed comics on, which is episode 67. And uh, that, I gave it about a 7 out of 10, just as a refresher. Uh, moving forward, uh, we have Age of Ultron number 5 came out, so this is, I guess, the halfway mark. Uh interesting, you know, I think this is the first issue of Age of Ultron where I kind of felt more a little bit more into it, a little bit more interested in what was happening. Because um, up until now, like, I've been a little bit dismayed that it's moving kind of slowly and I, it didn't always seem like it was making a lot of sense. And it's, it's just kind of a weird storyline in a lot of ways because uh, we've barely really seen the, the quote-unquote villain at all. Like, the first three issues were basically set up and the fourth issue, we finally got a little bit more idea of what was going on, and it led into the book five here. But it's kind of a weird, it's a weird event. It's, I mean, it's definitely a, it feels different than most other events that they end up putting together. Uh, one thing I want to point out as well is that the cover, um, 
not one of the strongest that Hitch has done, particularly because there's a shot where um, Captain America is raising his shield. First of all, he looks a little too skinny and emaciated, and it just looks like he's kind of riffing off his own classic kind of poses. But uh, I don't know if he's supposed to be standing on like Hulk's back or something. Like it's just an odd shot. For those who have the issue, like take a look at that. It kind of looks weird. Uh, artwork here is by Brian Hitch. Uh, inks by Paul Neary, colors by Paul Mounts, and it's written, of course, by Brian Michael Bendis. Um, now, the I reading through this, it's interesting because I guess Avengers twelve came out. I can't remember for the life of me what Hank Pym was when this was started. When they started writing Age of Ultron, was Hank Pym back to being Giant Man yet, or was he, was he really just still Wasp? Because I, I bring that up because when we had this months ago flashback, and you have. Um, Reed wearing basically his costume from Jonathan Hicklin's run of FF. You have Wasp, the male Wasp, wearing his weird male Wasp costume. Um, I, I can't remember quite the, the you know the uh, the way the events kind of the oh, sorry I can't think of the word the sequence. I can't remember the sequence of events whereby this would have happened. But I like that finally. Bendis is going back and explaining a little bit more about how the Vision just kind of woke up one day. Because that really bugged me. Because the whole point was that the, the Vision was gone and we had the Young Avengers Vision. And that was kind of cool. And then out of nowhere we just kind of get the real Vision back. And I don't really I don't really feel the need for that version of the character. I mean, I, obviously he's a legacy character and he's been fascinating. But I like they had a new version of the character who, because it kind of felt like they didn't know where to go with the character after a certain amount of time. And especially after he got destroyed in Avengers Assembled, I was kind of happy he was taken off the board for a while. I mean, I love him. He's one of my favorite Avengers, but I feel like he'd lost his way. Um, and since he's been back, he hasn't really proven himself to be all that interesting or a reason to be, even be around. Like, they have, they've done so little with him, except for him to basically scream at Wanda and be like, or not scream at her, but like tell her that she's not wanted and he doesn't, like, he's just not himself. Anyways, maybe this is their way of saying this is why. Um,. He just kind of wakes up one day, and maybe they should have thought more about that. Uh, the Savage Land components, interesting. There's just that there's a lot. There's a lot of talking about what's been going on and what how these characters are still here. They're going for Nick Fury's bunker, and they find it, and a Nick Fury original flavor is in there, which is interesting but cool because he is you know a really interesting character when written well. You got a, another look at what the devastation kind of looked like when it was. Uh, first being unleashed all over the world, or at least in North America. But then we really get into the crux of it, which is there's a time platform, Doctor Doom's time platform, that's inside this bunker. And what can they do with it? Can they go? They, can they stop Ultron in the future? And at the same time, you have Wolverine and company saying, screw that, let's go back and let's stop Hank Pym. Uh, let's stop him from ever creating Ultron in the first place. Um fascinating concept I, I this could be really cool um, it's a shame that it took five issues to kind of get to this point but now we have two basically we have the people in the present who I doubt we're going to hear much more of or we don't need to anyway um, obviously they're going to send some people in the back in the past I'm not including the back and past people in that list of uh, those in the present um, I'm talking about those who are actually going to be left behind once both time travel expeditions have started. Um, but interesting concept. So you have a team of Avengers going to the future, and you have a team of Avengers going to the past, likely. Um, that's cool. I mean, if that's the story that Bendis wants to tell, I mean, obviously there's a lot going on with time travel these days. Bendis is using it in, in Age of Ultron and, and in all new X-Men. Um, but I'm digging it, and I'm liking it. This was one of the first issues, as I said, of Age of Ultron that I really kind of liked. Uh, it was a little slow at the beginning, but... 
then it kind of felt like it was it was hitting its pace and it ha- actually had some interesting concepts to talk about. So I'm interested to see where they go with that. So I gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, next up is Alpha Big Time number 3. Uh, I'm kind of a sucker for this book. Like, it's not a great read. And I'm, I'm giving, like, it's not fantastic and it's not horrible. I expected it to be, uh, this is going to sound like such a jerky thing to say. I just, I didn't like the original version of the character as presented by Dan Slott and I just felt like they 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 worked too hard to make him a giant dick that I just didn't care about him or like him or ever want to read about him again um, so the fact that they are even coming up with the series at all maybe like I don't really care so that's not really fair to Joshua Falkov uh, who is a good writer and I don't think I'd ever read anything from his before but he's actually doing a pretty solid job in writing this book. The art's a little strange the art by uh, Nuno Plaudi not your normal art for a superhero book, but that's kind of what makes it work. It's indie-esque, with the, especially with the crazy eyebrows on Alpha and the exaggerated mouth. Um, but I'm kind of digging it as a book, and you're seeing uh, Alpha try to figure out, like, kind of navigating this, the, the, both being a hero and having these abilities, and also just teenage life, and, and this, you know, this girl likes me. This girl likes me for me. Like, it's very, very human, very... Like, this is what an actual child would kind of act. Like, this is how a teenager who isn't the biggest nerd, but like this isn't the smartest and isn't isn't the, you know, the, the most well-built or whatever, and he just wants a girl to like him, and that's all he really wants. And someone, and now that he's got all these powers and everything, this girl actually likes him for, for who he is, and not because of the superhero thing. I mean, that's, that's really cool, and I like that Fal- what Falcov's playing with. Uh, as I said, the art's not the greatest bag, but... It's 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 an enjoyable book and probably a huge surprise to me um, because I just didn't expect it to be as enjoyable as it has been. I give it a seven. Um, next up is Avengers number nine. This is a very solid book, although I don't think it was as solid as the issues that preceded it. Um, I still gave it an eight. It's uh, still immensely entertaining. I think what threw me is just the ending kind of felt... Well, I think it was meant to be kind of odd and inconclusive. Obviously, there's going to be more that's going on after this, but it just kind of felt like a weird place to end the story. Almost like he had gotten to a certain point with how he wanted to write it. I'm speaking, of course, of Hickman. And then he was kind of like, ah, and I'm done. And I just was kind of thrown off by that. Um, but this, it, it was it was definitely entertaining. Um, it's a great book. I'm really enjoying what what's going on here. I mean... Um, this issue is called Starbound. It's of course written by Hickman, art art by Dustin Weaver and Mike Diodato. Um, really, I, I like the colors especially because you have a lot of characters here who are like shimmering and have a lot of energy, and so it's important to have uh, really good colors that kind of really pop. Um, I like the um, what was his name Nightmask and uh, Starbrand. Their kind of exploration and finding out more from Ex Nilo and then uh, finding more about what's going on with Earth and then abs- kind of accidentally kind of killing Earth and then having this knockdown dragout fight with the uh, the Avengers, which to be honest isn't the best work by Diodato because it wasn't always clear exactly what was happening. Um, but uh, this was a good book. I mean, it was, it was a little bit of a faster read than some of the other issues have been because there was a few giant splashes of action going on, but. It's interesting to see what the star brand can do. I just wish it was a little bit more conclusive. Like, we're seeing the after effects of what he can do or what he can stand up against, but we still don't really know what it is or how it's going to work. But, you know, it's Hickman. He's got a plan, and, or at least I feel like he probably does, and things are building, and uh, I'm really excited to see what comes up next. So this is, this is entertaining. I gave it an 8. Um, next up is my favorite book, 
to not like, um, or at least to just not understand why it even exists, and then then it ends up being fantastic, and I get upset about it. Uh, and I am, of course, speaking of Avengers Arena number seven. Um, I don't even know why I like this book, but I do. It's entertaining. Like I want to not like it. I don't like the premise um, of killing off young, you know, young heroes, especially like they we've they finally have some new heroes being created by Marvel in the last you know eight or nine years, and I've I've liked a lot of them, and then they keep killing them, and I'm just like stop doing that, and or they they go to um, they go into limbo, and this this series seems to be all about let's kill them. Um, and I, I'm sure there's something more going on beyond the surface, but I've, I, I won't reiterate again, but I, I'm very of two split minds. Like, as much as I don't want them to be killing these characters, it's disingenuous at this point if they're not actually killing off these characters. But it remains to be seen. Uh, it's written by Dennis Hopeless, artwork by Alessandro Vitti. Um, this is a great origin for, like, how is um, Arcade this awesome as he hasn't been in the past? So they kind of show... What what kind of he's throwing a birthday party and he he's paying this girl to try and kill him and it's kind of it's very weird but it's the idea it's basically painting a picture of arcade is a very lonely man he's a joke in the villain community other people just don't get it they don't get his obsession with games and fair play and like the, he's kind of like Mr. Terrific that way people just don't get it and people don't care and um, you know he, he uses all of this money and no one respects him and uh, he gets kind of his ass kicked by Constrictor, who may or may not be dead. Um, I like Constrictor, and he was a hero for a while, and I think he still was last time we saw him, so I'm not a big fan of that happening. Um, but, no, and this is great, and he... And he the, the problem here with his origin, like, it's nice to see that uh, an idea of, you know, what decided, what made him die to kind of take things to a different degree, is that it, it's very much um, reliant on uh, this more Miss Coriander who's basically a MacGuffin character. She, her only purpose is to be able to somehow equip um, Arcade with all this tech, all these abilities, but why? Like, and then she just leaves. Like, it doesn't really make a lot of sense as to why this is happening. Um, and so that part doesn't make sense. Like, everything else was cool. It was interesting to give uh, Arcade real motivation, but the the quick setup to how he created this whole uh, murder, this new version of Murder World, basically, uh, is very slapdash, very kind of like, this just happened because this girl put everything together for him. Wait, what? Like, I would have rather have seen him actually doing it himself. Like, I have even less respect for the character now. He couldn't even come up with his own, build his own new Murder World. Like, it was someone else. Like, I'm just kind of, it's like it was being gift-wrapped for him. And it's just, that part bugged me. But the character analysis itself was quite strong. So, and the artwork was, was enjoyable by Vidi. I ended up giving it about an 8. I was originally going to trend higher, but the more I think about it, the more I realize, no, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not like a 9 or anything, but it was a good read, and there were some issues, but for the most part, it was entertaining. Uh, so that brings us uh, to our next book. Let's see, which is Avenging Spider-Man number 19. Didn't like this. Uh, I wanted to. Uh, I'm, I don't know much about Sleepwalker. I remember getting a trading card in the 90s. I remember reading uh, one or two comics with them. Um, I didn't. I thought there was a lot more potential than this book ended up capitalizing on. Uh, it's written by Yost with artwork by uh, Marco Cicito, uh, who I do like a, uh, as an artist. Um, and there's some interesting parts here, but basically this felt like more of a throwaway, especially because the last few issues have been spectacular um, you know, uh, character studies on Otto kind of 
fighting and against other members of the Sinister Six, and it was just really interesting. And here is where he's he's kind of stuck in his own memories and having these nightmares, and he's he teams up with Sleepwalker, and he's basically up against the personification of his of his, of his father, who's to beat him. Um, I don't know. I just felt like this could have been so much more interesting. Although we did the the one kind of cool part was that we had a brief moment where you know uh, the Peter Parker ghost is basically trying to stop uh, or try and get the body back from Otto, and Otto was like, "Well, maybe that felt like more than just a dream." That's about the only thing that this issue was good for. The rest didn't really care for it, didn't really like it. Uh, I'm excited about next issue though because it's a chameleon spotlight, so that should be a lot more entertaining. Um, I, I'm really just kind of felt let down because I expected to like this issue a lot more. It's Sleepwalker. I mean, he's a cool niche character. Instead, I gave it a five because it was kind of a waste. Um, next up, uh, so we go from a low score to a very high score. And that is, of course, well, not of course, but that is background number 19. Um, I really dug this. Uh, Gil Simone kind of puts an end to the story of what's been going on with James Gordon Jr. Um, we see a little bit more of kind of the, the growing up what happened between Barbara and uh, and her brother and just kind of seeing what they were like when they were younger and seeing them kind of fall apart. Uh, it's deeply a, kind of a disturbing issue, but it's quite fascinating. Um, Jim, uh, James Gordon Jr. basically is trying to put it into, like, he's basically threatening his mother and his sister, and uh, it's pretty messed up. And Batgirl does something that I'm surprised that Gail Simone had her do it, which is basically she throws like a batarang at uh, at his eye and takes out his eye and then basically knocks him off a bridge and then he may or may not be... He, he could be alive because, I mean, God knows comic characters don't die that easily, but it looks like he's dead. He gets knocked off a um, uh, like a bridge and if he does survive, he's probably having a spinal cord injury. Uh, and then it sets up kind of the, the big climactic part, which is... Uh, James Gordon, the the first uh, Barbara's dad is now pretty pissed uh, because it looks like Batgirl just murdered his son. Even though his son has problems, even though his son, you know, kills people and definitely has an issue, uh, his daughter just just killed his son. Uh, sorry, and he, not his daughter. I mean, it is his daughter, but he doesn't know his daughter. Uh, but Batgirl just may have just killed uh, his son. So it's it's really really interesting. Um, extremely well written. Gail Simone is firing on all cylinders. The artwork uh, is fantastic as well. Uh, just immensely entertaining. I'm such a big fan of this book. Daniel Saint-Pierre does a great job on the artwork here. Uh, I like the how he illustrates the differences uh, visually between you know James Gordon Sr. and Jr., uh, the hairstyles, etc. And I really like the action as well. It's really well choreographed. Uh, Gail Simone does a great job uh, writing it as well. Um, and also, and this is something I think I read a, a news story at Comic Book Resources, and um, I guess, the, and it turns out this isn't actually the first time that we've had a transgender character uh, in a DC book. So apparently that happened recently in Demon Knights, I believe it was. I apologize if I got that wrong because I'm just trying to remember the news story. Um, but Batgirl's uh, roommate basically knows, it tells her, tells Barbara Babs that she is transgender, which is interesting. And also, you have Babs telling her roommate basically everything about her past, about her being paralyzed, uh, the Joker's involvement, etc., except... She tells her everything except for the fact that she's Batgirl, which is interesting. Um, so I'm interested to see where this book goes in the future. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, next up is Batman 19. I expected more from this. Um, it wasn't 
that and I just kind of I mean this is a basically it's a clay face story the cover you you makes you wonder because you have Bruce Wayne holding a gun and he's holding a Jim Gordon what does that mean um, but you read this here and it's kind of like what what's going on some of this stuff is odd um, and basically the, the, at the end of the day it's a it's a oh, sorry I'm lost in thought it's a it's a clay face story you got some flashbacks as well as to what's going on with um, Batman kind of thinking of Damien. So I like that we're not forgetting that. Uh, it, it, it wasn't a bad issue by any means, but I don't know. Something about it didn't click for me. Um, part of it's, I guess, just that, that beginning. That that beginning really rubbed me the wrong way. It felt very like, look who it is. Oh my God, what's happening with Bruce Wayne? And then by the end, oh, it's Clayface. Who cares? Um, also, we have a bit of a clump in the backup between Superman and Batman. And that was kind of interesting to have, too, and the idea of possession of the Will of the Wisp. And uh, I'm interested to see where this goes. James Tony in the fourth wrote it with Alex Maleev and artwork. Not the cleanest work from Maleev, though. It doesn't quite... I'm always going to compare it to his Daredevil stuff, and it's not nowhere near as good. Um, the main story, written by Scott Snyder and artwork by Greg Capullo. This is one of the first issues of their run on Batman, I believe, that I wasn't a huge fan of. I mean, it was okay. But it wasn't great. I gave it about a 7. And I felt like I was being a little generous, to be honest. I don't know. Just something about it. Uh, after the last, what, 18 issues, it just kind of felt a little bit like a letdown. And I'm not sure why. Uh, it just didn't feel like that special. It didn't feel that big and exciting. It just didn't capture my interest in the same way as I would have expected. Uh, next up is Batman and Robin 19. Now, this book, uh, to be fair, it's coming after one of my favorite issues of Batman in a long time. Like, I think Batman and Robin number 18 was potentially like if, if that was I I know no book no comic book is really perfect per se quote 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 unquote there um, but it, it was so good 18 was just so fantastic of an issue so I think uh, no matter what came after it it was going to be a disappointment uh, issue 19 Batman and Red Robin so now we're basically going through the uh, Captain America and Hawkeye American Bucky kind of uh, trend of we're going to change the title every issue when we're teaming up with someone. It's kind of disingenuous because he doesn't really team up with Red Robin. It's more like Batman stands off against Red Robin and is, and is a bit of a dick. Um, that's the real title of the book. Um, so, and what's really important about, not important, but notable about this is that Carrie Kelly, who is obviously the Robin of the Frank Miller uh, Dark Knight Returns story, uh, makes her first appearance in the regular DC Universe, so that's a big deal. Um, and that's part of the, the WTF covers, which aren't called that, but pretty much are. Uh, this issue is written by Peter J. Tomasi, artwork by Pat Gleason. The Gleason artwork, uh, it I like this a lot. I liked him on Green Lantern Corps. I loved him in the last issue of Batman and Robin. He's been doing a solid job on this book. This is not his strongest work. I mean, if you uh, if you open if you have the issue, open up the first page and that first shot of Carrie Kelly when she's looking at a piece of pizza. First of all, that looks like the most disgusting piece of pizza I've ever seen. It looks ghoulish, but Carrie Kelly alone looks terrible. Like I don't know if she's smiling with the like, two buck teeth by the looks of it. Like that's what it looks like. Um, this weird expression. Uh, there's not a lot of line work on the face, which just kind of looks weird. It's just, it's not good. And then you flip to page two, and the first shot of her, not the first shot, there's a shot of her, it's looking to kind of down on her a bit, and it's her uh, standing at the door to the Wayne Mansion. I didn't really care for that either. It's just something with the face didn't really work, and that kept happening. Like, there's a shot here where Bruce Wayne goes to uh, Carrie Kelly's front door, and she opens the door in a Robin costume, and the face looks awful. Like, I don't know what... 
Like, Gleason's a great artist. This is terrible. Um, it's just not good art. Like, it's such an odd shot. First of all, there's not a lot of dimension to it. I mean, she's kind of bending, not bending over, but she's, like, her, she's, obviously she's posed in a certain way, but it doesn't even feel like the art adequately captures her pose. And there's not a lot of sense of, uh, of, pers- of, uh, of depth and of perception in this uh, panel. Uh, also, like, she's almost shapeless. It's very odd. Um, this is not Gleason's best work <laughs> by a long shot. And then you have then the story. So the story basically is that Carrie Kelly was involved with Damian Wayne, and uh, now he's gone, and she's wondering where he is. And that part of the story is fine. Uh, then there's the weird part with Frankenstein and the Agent of Shade, and then Robin gets involved. It just gets really messy, and then it's not nearly as interesting, and it just feels very out of place. Uh, and the idea that Batman would even want to do anything like what's happened to Frankenstein with, uh, uh, his son, it just felt very kind of at a place as well. And yeah, and then I, I just, I didn't even like the, the team up basically between him and Red Robin was not a real team up at all. It just, it felt odd. And even the use of Curry Kelly didn't really feel like it was that substantial. I don't even know why it had to happen. It's obviously not the same feel of the Curry Kelly that we kind of come to know through Dark Knight Returns. So I don't know. It's just, it, it, it happened. It's over. Um, I gave the issue about a seven at best. Uh, next up is Constantine number two or Constantine. I don't know how you pronounce it. Uh, Constantine number two. Uh, I give it about a six and a half. Um, actually, sorry, I want to backtrack for a minute. Batman and Robin, sorry, Batman and Red Robin. I gave it a seven. It's not really deserving of that. It's more of a six. You know, I I, I said a seven, and I really thought about it. I'm like, you know what? My problems with Gleason's artwork here. It doesn't deserve the seven. It deserves the six. Sorry, going back to Constantine. Uh, I the issue first issue was actually surprisingly enjoyable and good. I. Didn't know what to expect from it, and I actually kind of liked it. Uh, Jeff Lemire and Ray Fox writing it with uh, Bernardo Guedes and artwork. Not the greatest artwork from Guedes, but uh, it's it's all right. Um, it's interesting to see the Spectre here. Uh, I like the I, I. It's kind of I don't okay. This is probably totally wrong, but I got this almost like Indiana Jones kind of vibe from Constantine here in terms of you know him looking for these uh, these mystical artifacts, etc. And then the Spectre being involved. Uh, I gave it a six and a half. It wasn't a bad uh, read. Um, the artwork could have been a little stronger. It was very loose, but generally speaking, like it, w- it was kind of fun. Uh, next up is Deathstroke number nineteen. I gave this an eight. Um, I love the cover. Really good. At least, at least half of the front cover. I don't really care for the, his kids part, but Justin Jordan uh, wrote it. Um, and uh, he's doing a great job of kind of figuring out what he wants to do with this book. Um, Edgar Salazar and Scott Eden on pencils, Scott Hanna and Art Thibert on inks, and Juan Fernandez on colors. Uh, the one thing that's unclear, it, it's this was an odd book because I felt like I haven't read Team 7 number 7, so I don't really know what's going on with the last mission for Team 7. Uh, I haven't read Raven- the Ravagers, what, 11 or whatever? So I don't know what's going on there. So here we have the character Majestic, who I have barely a passing uh, knowledge of. He's now being involved in the New 52. Uh, I believe he's an image, or Wildstorm character, sorry. Um, so he, he's there, and he's coming for, I guess, the former handler of Team 7. Um, Deathstroke basically is... It's interesting because he, you know, he wants his he wants his daughter back. Uh, then you have Adeline 
the wife of um, Deathstroke and uh, Grant, who's alive in this version of the, the universe. He's not dead. And uh, Joseph, better known as Jericho. And it really just comes down to Jericho being crazy, Jericho taking over people, and then Jericho fighting against his father and bringing Majestic uh, closer so that he could possess Majestic, which he does. Um... It's a good issue though. It's a good. It's got some good throwdowns. Um, I don't know a lot about some of these versions of the New Fifty Two characters. Like, sorry, the New Fifty Two versions of some of these characters. I'm not that familiar with per se, but I'm interested in the book so far. I'm liking it, and I, get, I think the book's about to end. So I mean, at least it's going to go out strong. Um, although I would never like buy the first twelve issues in trade. I might buy like the last eight because uh, I thought they were actually pretty enjoyable. I'm going to give this an 8. It was, it was a fun, good read, and I didn't expect it. I never expected a Deathstroke. Uh, some of the early, not recent issues, but a few months ago, uh, some of the issues of uh, Hawkman when they were crossing over Deathstroke, much more enjoyable than I ever would have thought or given them credit for, And but they were good. Um, so next up on the list is uh, Fantastic Four number 6. Yeah, that's the basic I felt about that. Um, I want to like this more than I do, but it's just not giving me a lot to go on. Uh, Matt Fraction, I don't think, is really the, a great Fantastic Four writer. Obviously, in my review of uh, 6AU, was very like anti-Matt Fraction on Fantastic Four because it seemed to miss the entire point of the character. Um, Mark Bagley's artwork is gorgeous, so really, the main reason to even get this at all is because the artwork is fantastic. Um, no pun intended. Uh, whereas the storytelling itself really leaves a lot to be desired. I don't even know what's happening here. Like, they, they go back to the Big Bang, they find this this carrot, they they find uh, Blastar, who in the, the future version of Blastar has been sent back into the past. I just don't care about this. Like I didn't find this that interesting, engaging. By the end, I'm like, what what, what what's happening now? Like I'm, I wasn't even sure really what was happening, because I didn't really care. Like It wasn't something I was really able to really sink my teeth into and really try to be interesting and be like, oh man, I really want to get into this. It was more like, uh, um, I don't really care what's happening, and yeah, so that's unfortunate because I want to love the Fantastic Four. I really like them as a team. I've had, there've been some fantastic runs throughout history. I own a, lo- a large, not a large collection, but I own some really good FF stories. I have all of Jonathan Hickman's FF. Um, I know I'm just looking at my bookshelf right now. I've got the FF by Michael Ringo and uh, Mark Wade, which is one of my favorite runs because it's got this uh, timeless kind of fun family adventure to it that uh i mean jonathan hickman's was quite different it was much more about epic and and scale but also being about family and a father and son but not, it, 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 very different in scope and then i also have the the, the uh the john byrne by the ff by john byrne omnibus volume one so like i like ff and i like some of the big crazy stories and i like the family and i just feel like this isn't really giving me what i want from it um it started pretty strong I, the first few issues weren't bad but I think since then it's just kind of flip-flopped and uh, doesn't really have a, a good sense of what it wants to be, really. And Matt Fraction is not the right writer, I think, to really pull it off. He's doing a better job on FF, to be honest. I mean, that's quirky and weird, and he's having more fun with it. Here, it's just not quite gelling correctly. Um, next up, so that was a 6 out of 10. Next up is Green Lantern Corps number 19. I actually like this a bit more than I have most of the other issues of, of the uh, Wrath of the First Lantern storyline, mainly because it's been an awful storyline that doesn't make a lot of sense because most of the issues have been rehashes of the same thing over and over again with slightly different characters, but mainly the same thing has been happening. So this issue, you got Peter J. Tomasi writing artwork by Fernando Pissarin. Uh Not the strongest artwork by Pissarin, but still pretty good. 
the basic premise here is that uh, Volthoom thinks he's kind of succeeding, but Mogo has uh, put himself back together. He's able to shield all the core members, bring them to his planet, and have them confront their innermost, uh, kind of de deadliest versions of themselves so that they can start the healing process and build up uh, willpower, and uh, that now maybe they're, right, they're ready to take the battle back against um, Volthoom. Not the strongest, but this is... Okay, not the strongest issue of Green Lantern Corps I've ever read. Uh, I gave it a seven because it, it's it's okay, but it's not for seven and a half. But it's not fantastic. However, it is probably one of the best issues of this storyline because this storyline has been awful. Um, the only this is a weird thing to have a problem with. But at the last page, you have uh, Fatality, who's one of the uh, Violet Lanterns, the Star Sapphires, and she's amongst this group of Green Lanterns saying their oath. And the um, the audio, not audio, the speech bubble is clearly pointing to her. Why is she doing the brightest day, blackest night, Green Lantern oath? She is a Star Sapphire. She has nothing to do with them. Why is she saying their oath? Just saying. It's weird. It obviously is not really probably meant to be there. It's obviously some kind of mistake. But it just, I noticed it and it bugged me. Um, I'm interested to see what happens in Green Lantern 20. I hope it's double-sized because I feel like there's... We've had so much setup to this storyline, which is really kind of garbagey, and I'm hoping we get some one hell of a, an ending. And I'm really nervous that we're not going to. But hopefully, hopefully, this issue much better than the last what, nine. Um, at least for none of this particular book, but although that might be true, but more in this storyline. Um, next up is Hawkeye number nine. Uh, I love Hawkeye. I mean. Those who've listened to the recent Book of the Month Club episode will know that I, I sat down with uh, my co-hosts, uh, Nathan Strzok and Paul Scores. We talked about Hawkeye, and they didn't quite like it as much as I did. I gave it about a 9, the first trade. I think uh, my brother-in-law, Paul, he gave it an 8, and I think Nate gave it like a 6 or a 7. Um, I absolutely love this book. I really like this one. This issue is great because you have the ongoing um, element of... Um, Clint worrying about this girl and uh, at the same time we have all the other women in his life kind of getting involved in what, what, what's going on with Clint right now. So you have this issue has sections that are, that are with Black Widow, uh, with Mockingbird, uh, Hawkeye's ex-wife so you have the ex-lover, that's Black Widow the ex-wife, that's Mockingbird the current girlfriend more or less who's Jessica Drew and then you also have the partner uh, crime fighting partner who's Kate Bishop and then you have this other girl who's basically has had a bit of a dalliance with, even though he's dating Spider-Woman. Um, this was a fun book. It played with uh, narrative because you had things going in different orders. And then you, as you go through, you realize that things are moving around in a different um, sequence than you would have expected when you, when you started. Uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a fun book, fun issue. Um, I, really, I really just love this book. And David Aja is brilliant. He really understands how to illustrate this character uh now one thing about this book though gill or grills but gill at the very end of the issue he's there he's just standing there and he gets shot in the head i didn't see that coming and i actually found that very upsetting because first of all i don't really know who this character is on the last page that part doesn't i don't get it but um i was extremely sad to see gill die i mean that was i mean i'm assuming he's dead he just got shot in the face but i guess it's, it's comics but uh, very affecting because I like the character. He had that um, Hurricane Sandy kind of tribute kind of issue, uh, which was interesting. So I did not expect him to get shot in the face. 
Uh, but it's a, it was very affecting because I've only seen him in a few issues, but I like the character, and now that character's dead, and I was upset about it. So, I mean, Matt Fraction's doing something right in this book. Not in other books, but this book, yes. So I gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, next up is Secret Avengers number 3. Uh, this book, uh, I... I I don't know. Like, I'm actually kind of digging this. Uh, I'm still not sure how I feel about kind of shoehorning in this the, the Black Nick Fury, the Nick Fury Jr., but it is what it is. Uh, this issue, we finally get to see more of Daisy Johnson being the actual director of S.H.I.E.L.D. You also have the acting director, Maria Hill. Um, this issue is written by Nick Spencer. I work by Luke Ross. This is some really good Luke Ross artwork. Um, I, I liked how... You have, um, well, first of all, there's a lot of good things in this issue. One of my favorite is that they have this shot that says, uh, it has been 192 days since our last, hel- last helicar- helicarrier crash. I thought that was priceless because often that happens a lot, <laughs> like a lot in uh, in comics. They're constantly ruining the helicarriers. I like that they kind of made fun of that. There's some fun here with uh, with uh, Black Widow and Mockingbird, which is kind of interesting because Mockingbird pretends to be Black Widow because she's using basically, a, for more better or worse, basically it's an image inducer. Uh, we're seeing more about what is going on with AIM. Now that they have their own country. Uh, they have this, you know, this uh, all sorts of leadership uh, problem, like not problems, but they're setting up new leadership. Uh, I'm really digging it. Uh, AIM kind of breaks into uh, basically this um, military conference, for lack of a better word. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. has a problem with uh, the Iron Patriot armor kind of being repurposed and reused by the military. You have Joe Casta at one point being um, rescued, and I'm interested to see how Joe Casta knows Phil Coulson. Um, this is really, really entertaining and really interesting, and I like Quake finally actually getting to do some Quake stuff. That was cool, too. Um, yeah, this is this is a book that again I didn't expect a lot from it, but it's actually really cool so far. It's got a kind of intriguing, crazy, cool premise. Um, it's thinking a little bit outside the box. It really does make it feel more, more of like a, a secret Avengers, but really a Shield. Like this is a Shield book. Don't pretend that this is an Avengers book. This is really Shield. This is Nick Fury Jr. This is you know Quake and Maria Hill and. Um, and Phil Coulson, and sometimes they'll have an Avenger team up with them. But it's a S.H.I.E.L.D. book. Don't... I I just... I wish that Avengers didn't have to be on every book in order to make it sell. But it's a good book, so, I mean, I guess that's something going for it. I was going to give it an 8, kind of trending towards an 8.5, but it's kind of in that in that zone. Uh, next up is Suicide Squad, number 19. Oh, no, actually, I did not uh, get a chance to read this, so... Um, I didn't actually end up reviewing this, so this goes on the do not did not review list. Uh, I'll flip over to Thor: God of Thunder number seven. I don't think I read number six. I really dug this issue though; it was really really fun. Um, I give it about I give it about an eight. I mean, it's gorgeous. I mean, Asad Rubik's artwork is fantastic. Uh, the story by Jason Aaron is pretty interesting because you have Thor from the present meeting Thor from the future, and at the same time, we're seeing some things that have happened in the past with Gore and. Uh, and uh, the young god of thunder, um, which is really cool. Plus, there's this uh, part where uh, Thor basically hooks up with a, uh, a like a, a shield maiden, and I really liked her. I liked that she was very like badass and like you know she's not taking any guff. She's not just some some girl. She's um, 
she's you know shield me from like she even says like you should know I make war like I make love naked and in a berserker rage and I'm like that's kind of awesome uh, I like that she kind of puts him in his place uh, like uh, sorry I'm I'm going to quote a little bit from the issue but she's like my pretty little head has been smashing faces and breaking noses since I was old enough to see straight I'm a shield maiden not some sheep herder's daughter tell me who are we to murder I mean like that's badass I, I kind of liked how he wrote that like she was very a tough woman um, so I, I like that we had the future stuff we have Thor meeting up with old Thor and you have young Thor going through some hellish uh, experiences much more enjoyable than I think I, I thought it was previously um, and I think the last issue I passed, I passed on, I think I read a few ish, uh, pages, and I was just like, eh, I'm good. But this was fantastic. One thing I really liked, um, <laughs> the present Thor goes to this this big vault, because that's where he's supposed to go before, like, the final battle, and he thinks it's going to be aramids or all the things he's going to need. Instead, it's a huge booze closet, and he's like, well, I suppose one drink wouldn't hurt, and I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> it almost felt like a, something that Hercules would do, but... It, it was it was it felt very apropos. We gave that uh, an eight out of ten. Uh, next up is Ultron One AU. That's kind of the stupid name. Just call it Ultron One. Why not? Like an Ultron Age of Ultron One Shot or something like Ultron One AU. Okay, thanks. Uh, I gave it a one and a half. Sorry, six and one and a half. Jesus, nothing's gotten that low. Six and a half. Um, I like the script by Catherine Eminent. I wasn't a huge fan of the artwork by Amilcar Pina. I don't understand why it even exists, though. Because Victor Mancha has not in any way showed up in the regular book. And maybe he will be, but I feel like this is very much a story they're like, you know what? Um, there's another character related to Ultron besides Jocasta and Vision. His name is Victor Mancha. He was used in Runaways a few years ago. Uh, he's the son of Ultron. Um, we should use him in this storyline and maybe Bendis or who knows was like, eh, I don't really have a place for this, take care. And like, well, we, we gotta use him because people like continuity and they like us to respect that so we should at least show what happens to him. So they kind of delve into that but I, this is one of the few times where I think this actually could have been a miniseries but it should have had a better art but I think Eminem did a great job in writing it and you have this idea that you know, he everyone thinks he's human because he looks human, and he's gathering up some other friends, and they're kind of hanging out in the old runaways old headquarters. But at the end of the day, he is a machine, and when they kind of find that out, uh, they freak out, and then Ultron's uh, drones are attacking, and it's an interesting concept. Uh, I just wish there was more room for it to grow. I wish there was more room for him in the main storyline, and maybe there still will be. Um, I just think there were some missed opportunities here. Uh, that's why I gave it a six. Uh, Six and a half out of ten. And plus part of that is because I just wasn't a huge fan of the artwork. Um, next up is Uncanny Avengers number six. Fantastic issue. Um, I really hated that first arc, but this was a lot better. Um, Uncanny Avengers number six. I gave this a... Uh, I believe I gave this an eight. Let me just pull that up. Uh, actually, no. I gave it a nine. And you know what? It's, it's worthy of it because it's interesting. This issue really isn't about the Uncanny Avengers. It's about Kang and Apocalypse and a young version of Thor. And I like the young version of Thor a lot, ever since he was introduced in Jason Aaron's run, uh, him having that big axe. And uh, this issue is just so much fun to read um, because it is that you know that younger version of Thor. He's very petulant. And then you have him going up against Apocalypse. And uh, Odin's like, kind of like, leave him alone. And uh, he will... Thor just can't let that happen. And it, it's very interesting to see what happens here. Um... And uh, even seeing some of the characters, like Lineage, there's a character named Folkborn Logan, who's obviously uh, a 
predecessor of Wolverine, uh, which was pretty cool. I like seeing these are old um, uh, Horsemen of Apocalypse. I like seeing how Kang is involved with Apocalypse. Uh, really and and really cool stuff. Fun. Uh, I'm I'm not even surprised that Remender you know gets Apocalypse because obviously he does and he likes playing in the in that kind of um, uh, wheelhouse. Uh, so this was a lot of fun. It's obviously a very young version of Kang who's involved in this. I'm interested to see where maybe this will go in the future, but as a one-off, this was spectacular. Um, great job by uh, the creative team. I mean, the artwork and the story was just really good. Um, Rick Remender really kind of nailed this one on all, uh, on all cylinders. And I gotta say, the artwork by Daniel Acuna, holy crap, like, this is not the Daniel Acuna I remember. The Daniel Acuna I remember is usually a lot more stiff and a lot more painted looking and this felt a lot more fluid, and it was just a lot better, um, much more enjoyable. I mean, usually I, I look at whenever I see Daniel Acuna's name on a book, I'm like, I am not going to like this. This is going to be disappointing for me. I'm not going to enjoy this. This was quite different. Um, next up was Uncanny X-Men number four. Um, you really need to read the uh, all-new X-Men issue that kind of goes on concurrent to this to really be able to enjoy the full sequence because a lot of this is you know Scott goes to the Jean Grey school to recruit and that's a pretty big thing now I give them credit for not doubling up and showing the same sequence twice but in different books that would have sucked but at the same time if you're just reading this book you're like whoa 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 what is he saying I gotta pick up another book it's not even clearly delineated that it's going on in another book and that I have to pick up that book in order to find out what's going on which is a little disappointing uh, obviously, this issue is written by Brian Michael Bendis, artwork by Chris Pachalo. Um, Scott shows up at the Jean Grey School, but the majority of this is about Emma Frost convening with her former students, the Cuckoos, them finding out she doesn't have powers, them kind of trying to understand more about she, where she's up to right now. Um, you get a little bit more glimpse in the fact that Jean Grey is not a very good psychic uh, at this moment, which makes sense because she's still learning. Um, then you have eventually Cyclops and his team. Uh, coming back to the uh, their headquarters and finding that the kids have have activated the danger room and have, don't really know what's going on. Um, Ileana kind of spasms out, which is kind of weird and doesn't. There's no real re- reason given for it. And then the team shows up, and now Warren Worthington the third has joined the uh, Uncanny X Men as well as the Cuckoos. Now the Cuckoos was kind of understandable that they would go, and that was kind of uh, obvious. If you read uh, the old new X Men that goes with this, if you've re- if but with uh, regards to Angel though, we don't know that, uh, so that's kind of a not a spoiler per se, but I mean the conversation to get him to leave and go with the Uncanny X Men hasn't even happened yet, but we'll get that soon enough. Uh, I don't know really what's going on with the magic stuff, and she doesn't really interest me as a character partially because, like, I just don't know where she's at these days. Like, she still seems to be pretty powerful. Um, she doesn't seem to be affected by the mutant powers being all messed up for everyone else, but who was involved with the Phoenix Five? But I mean, it is what it is. Uh, but there was definitely a lot of stuff to enjoy here. I gave it a seven and a half out of ten. Uh, next up is Wolverine number two. Not a big fan. Um, Alan Davis writing and illustrating. I gave it a six and a half. It was. I just don't know what what this like what what is the personality behind this book what is it really supposed to be Probably some weird mind control stuff is going on um wolverine's trying to uh like here he's 
he's being shot at by a small boy who's been molested, uh, not molested. Wow, it would be a very different book. Uh, being mind controlled and um, people are dying, being shot. We're just trying to stop it. it. You know, it's not a bad issue per se. It's just I don't really care much for it. I don't really know what the point of it is. Um, and the last issue of the last book I want to look at is Extreme X Men 13. I gave it a thir- uh, six and a half. It's the uh, one more what, chapter four of Extermination. Um, eh, I don't really get this storyline. Like parts of it I really like, parts of it I haven't. It's written by David Laffam, Marjorie Liu, and Greg Pak in terms of the story. This issue is written by Greg Pak with pencils by Guillermo Mugaron and uh, Raul Valdez, with inks by Ed Tadeo, Carlos Guevas. Don Ho and Walden Wong with colors by Lee Lowridge. Um, it's not a some of the issues, some of the pages were pretty strong, but some of it's kind of very scratchy. Uh, I'm not a, I I don't really care much for the Extreme X Men team, although I kind of like the relationship between that version of Cyclops and Dazzler. The basic gist here is that that creature that's been following them they can't stop it. There's one in both universe. They come up with that with the idea that they have to basically convince one of them to travel into the other and then unleash the uh, the celestial seed or whatever you want to call it on again like all the power of that against it to stop it. Um, it is what it is. Um, I give it about a six and a half out of ten because I mean it moves the story along and we're gonna see I guess the big climax is next with uh, I guess Gene taking on the power, but. Uh, I don't know. It, 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 not, not, nothing here makes me want to pick up Astonishing X-Men or Extreme X-Men uh, or what was the other one? I can't even remember. Or Age of Apocalypse. And I feel like, what, aren't two of those books ending anyway? Or maybe not, but like, they're the, the bottom three X-Books and let's have them all tie in together. I, I just don't, I, I, I'm not enjoying it and uh, I'll be glad when the storyline's over. Uh, Age of Apocalypse I'll miss a little because it had flourishes with greatness at times, but it wasn't always consistent. Um, so, talking about the books that we did, I didn't get a chance to review this episode. Uh, there's Avengers Assemble number 14. Just did not get a chance to get to it. Uh, also, uh, Suicide Squad number 19. Didn't read that either. As well as Demon Knights 19, Fearless Defenders number 3, Ravagers 11, uh, which would have explained what happened in um, Deathstroke. Uh, Superboy number 19, just because I have no real interest in jumping on. The Hell on Earth storyline went too long. I didn't want to read any of that because it just didn't look interesting to me. And then there's nothing that's really made me want to jump on the book after that. Um, Team 7, number 7, which would have at least explained what happened, what the final mission really was, and leading into this week's Deathstroke. So I read one book that, and not the two issues that were related to it. Uh, Threshold number 4, I haven't read any of it. And Ultimate Comics Ultimus 23, just because I'm not caught up. And I don't know if they care enough to be. People have said that some of the stuff has been good, but I'm okay with staying away for now. So, that is episode number 69. I am your host, Adam Chapman. Thank you very much for bearing with me and uh, for the delay in getting this episode up. Thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to send me any email, you can do so at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. If you want to download the app for the iPod or um, uh, for any iOS devices, 
you can do so at comicshenanigans.podbean.com slash mobile. Uh, you can like us on Facebook. You can also uh, put a comment on the HC Realms thread that this uh, episode will run or be posted under. And uh, I, I've been getting a lot of feedback recently, so I really appreciate that. I you know I like questions. I like people asking about certain things, and uh, really that that's a lot of fun for me. Like I like knowing that people are listening and have questions or just want to have comments. I mean that's great. It's always nice to know that you're not just talking to a vacuum. And more than any other episodes, review episodes can sometimes feel that way because it just feels like I'm just speaking into a dead space. Um, actually, I'll throw it out there. Uh, this is something that I'm considering. Moving forward, I mentioned in a prior podcast that I was thinking about perhaps cutting out the review episodes uh, probably in August or September because, um, as I mentioned on the show before, I'm going to be having a son, so um, I I know I'm not going to have the same amount of time to be doing, as I've been doing right now, two episodes a week. So what I might end up moving to um, is moving to a format where I do maybe uh, um, six episodes a month instead of eight. Where I do, where I do the uh, the kind of the longer episodes where I have a special guest, etc. I uh, might maybe only do two of those a month, and either do two big review episodes where I do two weeks of comics at a time, or do four episodes where I'm just still doing each comics by week, and uh, then the special episodes because those are a little bit harder sometimes to coordinate because it's not just me. There's other guests. There's you know, a lot of other schedules to align, so maybe going from four of those a month to two might make more sense. But I uh, I do appreciate the feedback I got that people do appreciate the reviews episodes and that the, the people who download them are enjoying them, and I do want to keep those going because they're a lot of fun. I mean, I, I find that I read more books that way that I wouldn't necessarily read otherwise, um, and I get myself exposed to more things because I want to have it done for the show because I want to I want to have not just be my favorite books that are always going to get great reviews but I want it to be books that I'm taking a chance on or that I'm kind of slogging through but hoping it'll turn around and that's more interesting to me to be honest and I found some books just by doing this podcast over the next last few months that I would never have found normally and I actually ended up enjoying like as I said Deathstroke I've kind of dug it recently and I never would have picked that up if it wasn't for the podcast so I mean that's that's part of the joy for me of doing the podcast and of being a comics reviewer in general. I mean, I've been reviewing comics in some way or shape or form since 2004 as I was writing, I think, for ComicStream.com. Now it's CXPulp.com, but I think I reviewed for them for like six years. And uh, I remember doing like 20 books a week. It was insane. But I just really like talking comics and reviewing comics and giving opinions and hopefully people like that and respond to that. So... Thanks for joining me for the episode. I really appreciate that. And I don't know why I got on that soapbox there, but I appreciate you uh, putting up with that. And I will see you next time. As I said, episode 70 will be going up three or four hours after this one does. And that'll be the next Talking Hero Clicks episode. Uh, just to give you an idea of what's coming up in the next few weeks, on uh, April 24th, we're going to have uh, the spotlight on Marvel Now, uh, the first wave episode. And then on May 1st, there's going to be a Talking Video Games episode. It's actually already been recorded, but that'll be coming up then. Uh, moving forward, on May 8th, we're going to have a spotlight on Iron Man 3 episode. So that'll be about a half, almost a week after the uh, movies come out. So we can kind of jump into it and go really spoiler heavy. Uh, we just wanted some time to let the kind of movie sit before we actually uh, did an episode on it. And then May 15th is going to be the next Talking Hero Clicks episode after uh, episode 72. And, sorry, 70. And then after that, uh, so I guess what I'm up to now, some ungodly number, May 22nd, uh, will be the spotlight on Star Trek in the Darkness. 
and then after that, who knows? Um, so we got a, a lot of good episodes coming up, and uh, it's kind of starting the march towards episode 100. Uh, right at the end of J- July, uh, we'll be having the 100th episode. I cannot wait. That's really exciting to me that I'll actually have gotten through 100 episodes, and it's amazing to me that I'm already through 69 episodes. I mean, I started this last August, and uh, the 100th episode and the one-year anniversary of the podcast are you know, a few weeks apart, but uh, it's exciting and nonetheless. And thanks for everyone for joining me on the ride. And if you've been with me since the beginning, wow, impressive. I'm impressed if you even found me because the first few episodes, I think I had like three downloads each, or sorry, 13 downloads for each review episode. So, and I think some of those were me. So, um, if you've been with me since the beginning, kudos. And if you haven't, thanks for jumping aboard. I really do. And I do appreciate it. So, thanks for joining me. I'm done blabbering on. And we will see you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.